children, third grade and under, are welcome to head out to Children's or Super Church if you'd like. Welcome to stay in if you prefer as well. Man, after a time of worship like that, let's just begin with a word of prayer if we could. Our Heavenly Father, God, you are worthy, worthy, holy, holy. In fact, God, you are so holy, your word tells us that you dwell in in approachable light. That the darkness that remains in our hearts, even after uh, we've begun the change in Christ, uh, would just evaporate in your presence. Lord, as we seek to draw near to you, we know that we can't approach you apart from Jesus, apart from his covering our sin by his blood. So we ask God that as we open your word and we ask your help in understanding and applying it, that you would draw near with Jesus, that we might receive from him uh, your words, that you might be honored and receive glory and honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen mentioned earlier, and uh, we'll invite you back this evening when uh, the Colorado and Congo mission teams will be sharing about our mission trips. Thankful to have the Bulgaria, Romania guys back as well. Look forward to that report down the road. Uh, and you'll hear a lot more detail tonight, but I, if, you've, if I've spoken to you at all about the trip to Congo, you've probably heard me use the phrase... It was like walking through the pages of the book of Acts. Is that really what it felt like uh, as we were there? Being a part of this work that was just incredible. Incredible to, to go to places where last year's team had gone and, and prayed for people's healing and, and shared the gospel. And, and this time we go to those places and we hear the reports that, that people had been healed by those prayers. And and that the word had, had spread about this gospel that, that came not just in word, but in power. And the places we had planned to go evangelize at uh, had churches already there. That people had heard this gospel and, and had heard of the power with which it was presented and, and had, had already converted and formed churches and they were praying that God would send somebody who could tell them more and, and explain to them uh, what it meant to be a church and what that was like. So rather than go evangelize, we found ourselves going to these churches, going to these places, and uh, trying to build them up. And like I said, you can come tonight and hear about some of, uh, more of those. I want to tell you about one this morning as we get started, a uh, village called Kamakanga. There will be a test afterward. Right, I'll test you on how you pronounce Kamakanga. But to get to Kamakanga, you cross the Louvre River, on a a ferry for your vehicle. It's the most interesting ferry I've ever seen. Three canoes kind of connected with this ramp that you drive the car up on, and when the driver of it gets around six hours later, you get across the river, and you you head out on this dusty road, and car packed with people in our case, and we get to this village, Kamakanga, and they're excited to see us. There's a church there. This is one of those places... They're just pumped for us to be there. 
So we go in and we have this church service and the drums are starting uh, and drumming like I've never heard before. Man, the, the huge bass drums kicking it out and, and somebody sitting over with a couple sticks hanging, beating on some rim of some blown up tank or something and every bone in your body is vibrating and, and the whistles are blowing and the, the, the people are praising and it's a really exciting, exciting time. And uh, one of the men that was with us preached there and shared the gospel. It was incredible. But at the end of the service, there was a difficult situation, at least difficult for me, that arose. Because as the service was coming to an end, they brought two elderly gentlemen in from the back, up front, and they sat them down and said through the interpreters to us, now we're going to take up an offering for these men who are blind. They, They can't see and they need some support and we need to take up an offering for them. Now, it wasn't difficult for me because I didn't have anything to give in the offering. I did. But the question was, should I? Because the words were still ringing in my ears from the past, Pastor Chanda, the Zambian pastor, who couldn't come across the river with us and had sent us to visit these churches while he went to some on the other side himself. And the words he left me with were, be careful when you go. Uh, don't give maybes, you know, make, make no promises to anyone. We'll sort all that stuff out. Everyone you go to will ask you, here's my need. We need this and we need this and we need this. Make no promises to anyone. Don't even say maybe because a maybe will be interpreted as a yes, it's coming. And he said, and recognize that what you give to one, the, the jealousy in this culture is, is such that uh, everyone will expect the same for them. So if you give something to this church and you don't give it to this church, such a bitterness and rivalry can be started that, that it will, will hamper the work of the gospel just in you trying to help out. So here we are. These guys are asking for an offering, and I feel like, man, are, are we being manipulated to give some money? And I don't mind giving, but, but what do we do? So when you find yourself in that situation where you don't know what to do, I hope you, like me, go before the Lord in prayer. And I began to pray, and I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. Should we give? Should we not give? And, and as I'm praying, I, some of the people in the, the congregation get up and, and start to put money in the plate that's sitting there, and, and the Lord released me to, to go and give an offering. And uh, So I gave. I recognized this wasn't a manipulation to get money out of the Americans. It was legitimately an offering for these people. So I uh, w- was able to give, and, and the others on our team were were kind enough to give. But when I returned to my seat, the dilemma wasn't over for me. I returned to my seat and I sat down and I was thinking, man, last year the Lord answered these these prayers for healing and that's how this church is here in the first place. So is this what they need? Is this what they need our money? Or do they need more than that? Is there something more required here, God? And I was asking the Lord, uh, should I should I pray for these guys healing? Is that even what you want? I don't I don't know. So I returned to the Lord and began to pray. What what do they need, Lord? What do they need, Lord? What do they need? And I didn't remember where this passage was at. It's in Acts chapter three. If you'll turn there with me. But as I was praying, this is the the story that came to mind. Acts chapter three. We'll begin in the first verse. 
Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and in his name by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Wow. It's a pretty incredible passage, even reading it now. Of course, I didn't remember it in such detail. But as, as we think about this passage, recognize the level of need represented in this man. Paralyzed from birth. I mean, he had never taken a step. He had never skied, he had never hiked, he had never gone down the trail to do some fishing. He had, never, he had never done any of those things. He was paralyzed from birth, lame from birth. And he had over the years, we don't know how old he was, but over the years he had figured out some way of making the best of his situation because just because you can't walk doesn't mean that you don't get hungry. Right? And because you can't walk, you can't work, so this is where the problem is. How are you going to get what you need to sustain yourself and live if you can't work? So he's worked it out. He's got some people, obviously, who are caregivers to him. And one of the things that they do is to carry him to the temple uh, that he uh, can be laid there to beg for alms as people are walking in. And here he was this day, Uh, about the ninth hour, that's about three in the afternoon, as things are kind of winding up for the day. They end with prayer service. It's the 
the hour of prayer, and the people, the faithful, are making their way into the temple. And I imagine he saw all kinds, just like it would be if, if he were here today. Uh, all kinds of people on their way to the temple for prayer meeting uh, probably walked past him. Some, I'm sure, acted like they didn't see him, looked the other way, and, and refused to make eye contact and, and want to deal with his problem. I'm sure some gave to him begrudgingly or out of a sense of duty. Uh, that I'm, After all, I'm going to church and this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm sure some maybe gave out of guilt because they knew where they had been last night and they were heading into prayer service after all. And, and maybe, given the benefit of the doubt, there were probably some there who knew they'd see him and they had been saving up so that they could give him a little something on their way by. I, he saw all kinds as he sat there, laid there day after day, begging for alms. And I'm sure he'd seen Peter and John before as they had walked into prayer, but this time was different. There was a different power that walked up this time. This time, Peter and John, they didn't just walk by. They didn't throw a couple coins in the can. They walked up to him, and the scripture tells us first they looked at him. Peter looked at him, which I'm sure half the people walking by didn't make it that far, right? And John looked at him. And they spoke to him. Man, half the guys that look at him probably didn't speak to him. Even the ones that threw something in the can, I'm sure didn't take the time, most of them, to speak to him. But Peter says, look at me. I want to make sure that I have your attention. Because I'm going to look at you, and I want you to look at me, so that we can speak and clearly communicate what's about to happen. I want there to be a clear understanding about what's coming here. So he gives him his attention, expecting that he's about to get some money. Imagine his surprise when the words, the first words out of Peter's mouth are, I don't have any silver or gold. Now, I don't know if he paused there long enough for it to go through this man's mind. Then why are you blocking the way? Because the guy walking behind you might. So would you mind stepping over? Now, I don't know if he paused long enough for that to register to this man, or if he went right on to the words that said, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have for you, I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he reached his hand down and grabbed him by the hand and pulled him off the ground. And the Bible says he leapt up. There was none of this maybe, maybe tested out stuff, right? He leapt up. And he landed on his feet. And when he landed on his feet, they were firm. And they were secure. And he was walking around and leaping around. This is no mild affair, right? He is a happy man as he's jumping around and praising God, it says. He knew he was holding on to Peter and John. But he knew that the praise for this miracle went higher than them up to the Lord. Others were a little more confused, but he was overjoyed. He walked and leapt and went with them into the temple for the hour of prayer. Now you might assume then, as I bring you back to that dirt church filled with new believers and covered with a grass roof in Kamakanga, Congo, that the answer I received from the Lord was obvious. You might assume that I rose from the chair and laid my hands upon these men and prayed 
for their sight to be restored. And if that's your assumption, you would be partly correct. See, I believe the Lord heard my prayer and told me what He wanted me to do. So as we left the church with the music playing again and uh, we're being escorted out and the people are singing and the drums are beating, I walked over to these men who were sitting in a bench at the back and I put my hands on their shoulders and I put my head between their heads and prepared to pray, knowing that the only people who spoke English had just walked out the door ahead of me, right? There was not going to be anyone to help them understand what I was saying. But I went before the Lord with the only words I knew how to speak, English, and I said, Dear Lord, thank you for bringing these two men here today. And I don't know if it's your desire for them to see. I don't know if it's your will for them to ever see a tree or a plant or the color blue or ever to lay eyes on their grandchildren. Lord, I know it would be a tremendous blessing if you would grant them that. But Lord, I would ask first that you would open the eyes of their heart that they might see Jesus and truly live. And then I joined the others outside, confident that when I was asked the question, what do they need, what do they need, what do they need, the Lord responded, while it would be good for them to see, while it would be good for them to have money to survive, what they really need is Jesus Christ. The main need in their life is the Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm excited to go back someday and learn whether or not they're seeing physically. More importantly, to learn whether or not they're heart has been opened that they might see Jesus and be living. Now the world, you don't have to go to Congo to find people in need, right? We are people in need. There are two kinds of people in the world, people in need and people in need, right? Those who know it and those who have deceived themselves and don't know it. But we all are needy people. And the world will try to find help from friends and family and doctors and psychiatrists and lawyers and medications and counselors and work and all kinds of things to solve our problems, to to meet the needs of our life. The, The world would tell us to go to all of these places. And we think it a great victory when these people come to the church for help. We say, ah, finally, they've arrived. They've come to the place where their need can be met. But I have to ask, can we help these people? Can we, when people bring needs, can we confidently say, yeah, we've got the solution for you. We've got the answer to the problem that you've got. And I've got to say, the only way you can answer yes to that, the only help we can be to these people is to get out of the way and point to Jesus. See, the story is told of Thomas Aquinas. He was an early church father who, uh, as the story is told, uh, was being shown around a grand cathedral. The, the Catholic Church had, had, had grown and, and conquered the world. And he was being walked through a cathedral. And I don't know if the story is true. It's told several different ways. Uh, some say that there was a rector that was showing him around. Some say it was the Pope himself that, that was leading him through this cathedral with its high ceilings and, 
and stained glass windows and amazing statues and, and incredible uh, ornate decorations. And when they walked up to the coffers where they collected the offering, it was overflowing with coins. There was all this money hanging out, and whoever it was, whether it was the Pope or a rector or if it was ever even true, said, who knows, I didn't Google it, right? <laughs> Where's Snopes? Anyway, the story is that the rector said, ah, it's been a long time since the church could say, silver and gold have I none. Uh, you get what he's getting at, right? The pride of that moment. Look, man, we're, we're not like Peter and John back there where we had nothing to offer. We can't say silver and gold have I none. We have a lot to give. Thomas Aquinas responded back quickly. Yes, but it's also been a long time since the church could say rise up and walk. Right? Yes, the church has grown where they have deceived themselves into thinking, we can do this. We can do some things. We've got some money. We've got some know-how. We've got some ability. We can go out and do this. And the temptation for us is to go out and do it in our strength, in our ability, in our money. And then, guess what? We're limited to our strength and our money and our ability. And when you get to a place like Congo or Zambia, I'm guessing Bulgaria, Romania, when you get to a place like Mexico, when you get to see some of the things that are going on in the world and the great needs that we encounter, it doesn't take us long to realize we don't have this after all. We can't accomplish this. This is bigger than us. This is more than us. And yet our temptation is to trust in our silver and gold. Our temptation is to look to our own wisdom, our own abilities. We can say I'm the the father of a toddler, so I can say it. You'll know what I'm saying when I, when I say, can we build it? Yes, we can. Thank you, right? There's, there's the Bob the Builder fans, right? Yeah. Can we do it? Of course we can do it. Let's go do it. We love God and there's a need and we can meet that need and let's just go be about it. And we're excited to jump into that and do it. We betray this attitude in ourselves every time the the monthly financial report comes out and it doesn't line up just the way we think it should. We don't have enough money in there like we thought we would and, and we think, oh no, man. How is ministry going to continue? How, how are we going to keep this thing going? Because we've gotten in our minds that it's us. It's, uh, it's, it's up to us to do it. It's up to us to accomplish it. If there's going to be ministry that goes forward, then we're going to have to open our wallets and we're going to have to be the ones to get this thing done. And we fail to recognize that it's a lie. It's not us. We betray this attitude in ourselves every time we get frustrated and bent out of shape when things don't go just the way we want them to. We had plans, man. We had it set. We had a course that we wanted to follow. And when we get off that course, we think, well, it's not my way. My way would have done it different. And I thank God that Peter and John didn't see this man laying lame on the ground outside the temple and asking for money, I'm so thankful they didn't start rummaging through their pockets. Right? I'm so thankful they didn't, well, I, I got a nickel. What you got? Well, I got it. Right, here you go. Let's get it done. Clink, 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 and walk on in. And go pray. But that's the temptation for the church, isn't it? The temptation for us 
to take it upon ourselves rather than to get out of the way and to behave in the situation in such a way as to pull that person in need with us before God in the temple, right? We're on our way to pray. Hey, why don't you come with us, right? Why don't you get up and walk with us in there where your real need can be met? Now, I acknowledge the church is the body of Christ. It's God's representative in the world, but the church is not God. We are just as dependent upon God as the rest of the world, right? We are need, needful of him and his involvement. Peter and John did two things in their response in this situation. First, they humbled themselves, and secondly, they exalted Jesus Christ. We can see the way they humbled themselves. Number one, they come into this humbly. They're on their way to the prayer service. And why do you go before God in prayer? You go before God in prayer because you've got all the answers and you've got all the ability and you can get it done. No, you go before God in prayer because you recognize this is beyond me. I don't know what to do, so I've got to seek God in it. I, even if I knew what to do, I, I don't have the power to accomplish it. And I just I have to receive it from God. I have to go before God. That's what prayer is all about. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, My Father said, My house shall be a house of prayer. Should be filled with people who are dependent upon Him, who are needful of Him and acknowledge that they have need of Him. They were going to pray. And verse 12, they not only know this themselves, but they're willing and quick to communicate that to these others who gather around and they're astounded at what they've done. In verse 12 they say, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? He's like, man, you've, you've, well, don't look at us. It's not by our power that this was accomplished. I can't say get up and walk and, and have men walk. I can't touch blind men's eyes and say have your sight and expect anything to happen. That's not coming from me. And it doesn't come from you. Right? And he says, it's not from our piety. Obviously, it's God's power that did this, but God didn't get involved in the situation because the one asking him was so righteous, right? He's, he's so filled with piety and godliness that God, how could he refuse my request because I'm such a righteous, pious man? He says, don't look to me. Don't hold me up in any way in this thing. It wasn't by my power. It was God's power. And God didn't get involved in this situation because of me and my righteousness, but because it was his desire to do so. So he humbles himself. And then they begin to exalt Jesus. Did you, the first time we read through it, hear the Christ-exalting sermon that he began to preach? The God, it starts in verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. This, uh, to this we are witnesses. Man, you see in verse 13, he says, this is the servant of God, number one. He's speaking of Jesus and says, he's the servant of God. You know, the servant of God that 
Isaiah 52, 13 tells us about, tells us to expect this servant who would change the world, who would bring hope, who would bring healing. He is the servant of God. You crucified him as a criminal, but that's not who he was. He's God's servant. Not only that, he was glorified by God, 13 tells us. God gave his amen to him. God was the one to say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He calls him in verse 14, the holy and righteous one. Man, Jesus was not a rebel. He wasn't a, a warrior. He wasn't all these things that he was killed or false king setting himself up. He, he was the holy and anointed one. There was no sin in him. He was set apart. The kingship he claimed was rightfully his. He did nothing wrong. There was no sin in him, and yet you killed him. He was the author of life. You get the the irony he's pointing out here. He says, here was Jesus, the creator, the one who authors life. He gave you life. And you said, we're going to reject him. We don't want the creator, the one who gave me life. Instead, give us the murderer. Release to us Barabbas. Release to us the one who takes life. Don't give us the one who gives life. Give us the one who would destroy us and make life miserable for us. Give us that one instead so that we might kill the author of life, that we might take the life of the author of life. And that's what they did in crucifying Christ. But God exalted him once again by raising him from the dead. Right? They couldn't kill him forever. He was raised from the dead that anyone who was in him might be raised along with him. Well, this is just an, an incredible exaltation of Christ. I don't look at me. I don't look at John. We're nothing. We're not powerful. We're not pious. We're nothing. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Exalt Him. He's the servant of God. He's been glorified by God. He's the holy and righteous one, the author of life, raised by God from the dead. Now there are many people here today that need to hear this invitation from the Lord. To the person who's here this morning that does not know Jesus, who's not a part of His church, to the person who maybe you've heard the name Jesus and you've heard all this stuff before, but you're not following Him and you've rejected Him. You need to hear this today. Because as you sit here this morning, you are here with many needs. You're hurting on more levels than you know. You might need money. You might need healing. You might need fixing of your relationships. You need help. You think you know what your problems are, but you don't even know the depth of all of those. Some are so, the biggest problem is that you're so self-confident and so self-deceived that you would argue with the previous statement, right? I got it all figured out. No problems here. I've got all the answers. And you're in such a desperate spot that you don't even recognize that you have needs that need to be solved. And my answer to you is this. Jesus is the hope to every problem you face. Jesus is the hope in every situation, every circumstance, every problem that comes into our lives. Jesus provides hope in it. Are you mourning this morning? Jesus is the answer for that. Are you lacking? Jesus is the answer for that. 
Are you in pain in relationships that have been caused? Jesus is the answer for that. Go down the list. The answer won't change. Jesus remains the answer. And as you begin to realize that, as you begin to examine that, you might not know when you came into this place. You may have come into this place thinking that was your problem. But you're discovering now that your greatest problem is this, that you need to draw near to God and you can't. Your greatest need in life is to walk with God. And you can't come to Him. You can't approach Him. You can't just waltz up to Him and say, all right, I've decided I believe in you. Well, great. Satan decided that a long time ago and trembles, as should you. And you can't just walk up to Him and say, I'm done living the way I wanted to live. I'm, I'm coming to you now. We'll get it done. Who are you? to waltz into his presence, cavalier that way. That's your problem. When you begin to recognize that to be separated from God is going to bring eternal punishment for you, and you can do nothing to fix it. Oh, you just decided it was done? Good. I'm sorry to tell you, you haven't decided your way out of Christ's or out of God's wrath. You remain in great peril. His wrath has been revealed against all ungodliness. And here you remain, cavalier. And that's your problem. But the answer to every problem is Jesus Christ, is it not? Did we not just say that? The answer to even this problem is Jesus Christ. You can draw near to God only through Christ. When you approach Him in faith, and that's what this said, in His name, by faith in His name, verse 19 said, Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. By faith in Christ, turn from your life, turn to Christ, repent, that your sins may be covered, and in Christ you might draw near to God. There is the solution to your problem. Don't leave this place like the people described in the sermon preached by Peter. Don't leave this place as those who deny Jesus. They rejected the author of life, instead asking for the one who would destroy life. No, no, I don't want to live. Give me someone who is going to destroy me instead. They became murderers themselves, writhing in the the misery of their own sin. God raised him from the dead that you too might be raised with him that times of refreshing may come. Isn't that the hope? That turn in faith to Christ, that your sins may be blotted out, and times of refreshing may come. Man, long for that refreshing. Long for that day when we can draw near to God. And many are here this morning who are in the church who have sought God out and have, in, in faith, turned to Christ and have drawn near to God on those terms, on His terms. And let us humble ourselves as a church and as individuals. Let us humble ourselves and let us exalt Christ. Let us know and acknowledge that we need Him. That we would be a people on our way to prayer. That we would begin and end our days with a recognition that I'm not smart enough to plan out my day I need God to set my course. I'm not strong enough to get it accomplished. I need God to empower it. I, I, I'm not even 
filled with the right motives. I love myself. I need God to direct me, right? Come as a church and as people of the church and humble yourself before God. Humble Him in that we, in acknowledging that we need Him. Humble ourselves uh, in the recognition of our lack of piety. Right? Well, there's great liberation in recognizing when you come to church that we're not putting on the masks, right? We don't come here and pretend like the temptation is. Uh, yeah, nothing going on in my life. All's righteous here, right? All's well. It's all perfect. There's no sin that I'm struggling with. Everything's good. Just, just if you want to know what it is to live a godly life, you follow me around, right? That's bogus. And all of us know it. But we still gather into that trap and we start to live that way and, and we try to hide and our struggles and, and our sins. Draw before God. Humble yourself to acknowledge, yes, there's sin that you're struggling with. There's sin. You're not righteous and pious. But there's great joy in recognizing Christ in that, right? There's great joy in knowing that I'm not saved, I'm not drawn near to God on the basis of my righteousness. If I was, I'd be so far away. But I come on the basis of Christ's righteousness, and nothing can separate us from that. And then exalt Jesus as you've humbled yourself. Exalt Jesus with your words. And it's good to sing the songs that we've sung, right? Holy, 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 worthy, worthy. That's, that's good. Exalt Him with your words. But don't just exalt Him with your words here at church. Go and declare the goodness of God. But don't just declare the goodness of God with your words. Your desires and your actions have to follow that because your words really pale when you say, I love Jesus more than anything, but I'm going to spend 85% of my time in video games. Right? Because what that says is God, Jesus, lines up somewhere between work and family. Right? Uh, he's great. He's exalted. He's, he's pretty good. But, you know, family's maybe the best thing in my life and, and work right behind it. But Jesus, he's in there. That's what that declares. When we busy ourselves with other things, regardless of what we say with our lips. So honor him with your lips. Exalt him with your words. But exalt him in the way you live your life. And again, we exalt him even when we fail to do that. We can exalt him. We can exalt him in our response to our sin, in our response to our weak desires. We, we exalt Christ when we come back and acknowledge, man, it's in Christ alone that I'm saved. I'm going to invite you to respond this morning. You can come and pray with me and talk with me. Uh, you, can, you can talk to the Lord where you sit. But don't leave this place deceived. Don't leave this place confused. Look at me as I'm looking at you so that we can have clear communication about what's about to happen. You're going to respond to the Lord. You're either going to say, Lord, you've spoken today, and I don't want to hear it, and walk out the door. Or you're going to respond to God and submit yourself to Him. But as you leave, know that's what you've done. Don't deceive yourself and think that you came to church, you did your thing, now go live my life. Know that to do that is to reject what the Lord is telling you to do in your life. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, gracious God, 
Lord, I am so thankful that my every need is fulfilled in you. And that every need represented in this room is fulfilled in you. The circumstances that come that befuddle us, that leave us lacking words, we don't even know how to speak, what hope to give in those situations, they're not that way to you. Nothing silences you. Nothing finds you dumbfounded. All of our problems find their end in Christ. So we draw near to Jesus, Lord. And God, help us to be a church that is not reaching into our pockets to find what we can find to help. Help us be a church that would move powerfully to pick people up where they are and bring them to you with us. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing our hymn of invitation.